Welcome to episode 79 of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. I am your host, Carolyn Berry. Born into a plain-dressing, plain-speaking Mennonite farm family in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, today's guest, Dr. Shirley Showalter, grew up to become a college president, a foundation executive, the author of two books, and the grandmother of three. The values her family and church instilled in her as a young girl are ones Shirley still holds dear. Generosity, kindness, and empathy. In the Mennonite community, she says, a child in need was everyone's problem to solve, not only the parents. If I saw a plain person in a long dress or wearing a bonnet or a plain suit on the street, I would never have hesitated to ask for a ride for information, or even for many. All through my childhood, I was trained to be that same kind of beacon of kindness for others. That beacon of kindness shines brightly in the recently released book, The Mindful Grandparent, The Art of Loving Our Children's Children, which Shirley co-wrote with Marilyn McIntyre. It's a guide to helping grandchildren live with intention and be attentive to others, to nature, to the diverse, beautiful, and troubled social world around them. The Mindful Grandparent covers wide-ranging topics such as cultivating curiosity, giving meaningful gifts, helping children explore difficult topics, building a grandparent team, honoring adult children's boundaries, and managing technology. Before we welcome Shirley to the podcast, please take a minute to look at the links in the show notes and learn how to be a guest and how to receive my newsletter. Now, please join me in welcoming Dr. Shirley Showalter to the podcast. What prompted you to write the book? We had thought we were going to write another book, and that one was not, at first it got good reviews from the publisher, and then they thought it would not be a good subject. It was on memoir writing. And uh, we had five authors working on that book. And when they got uh, cold feet on the topic and the style, Marilyn and I thought that probably was the end of that idea. And we went back to our respective posts and continued doing our own work in our own places. However, I began to be drawn more and more in my own blog uh, to not only joyful aging as a subject, but also began to recognize that grandparenting was becoming my, my vocation and that maybe there were other grandparents who felt the same way about that. And as a matter of fact, Marilyn was one of those grandparents who resonated with the idea of grandparenting as vocation, uh, with wholehearted grandparenting and intensive, engaged grandparenting, the kind of grandparenting we eventually called mindful grandparenting in our book. I just posed the question to Marilyn, uh, would you like to write a book just with the two of us and on the subject of grandparenting? And she said, of course. Maybe because we're immersed in it, but it really does seem to be a hot topic these days. I think so. I have been following Richard and Linda Iyer as they are beginning to work on something they're calling uh, Grandparenting 101. And they have been saying all along that grandparenting 
is in for the same kind of transformation that the notion of parenting went through back in the 1960s and 70s. I don't know about you, Carolyn, but when I was raising my own children, I had one garage sale purchase copy of Dr. Spock's book as my parenting guidelines. And there weren't many other books available. Now you go into Barnes and Noble and or your local independent bookstore and you will find shelves of parenting books. I believe we're in for that kind of change in grandparenting. With 70 million grandparents in the United States, there are many who want to not let this period of time pass by. We know from our own parenting days that children do not stay children long. If we're going to engage with them across miles in some instances or with modern opportunities and modern challenges, we're going to need each other, as you have discovered through this podcast, and we're going to need resources. I did have a copy of Dr. Spock, but honestly, I put it aside because I found a community of women who Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed and resonated with. And that was uh, women through La Leche League. I breastfed all of my babies. And I just found that the women who were involved with these groups just had a parenting and mothering attitude that resonated deeply with me. And I found that I styled my mothering Mm -hmm. around their philosophy. I learned so much from them. And I was so fortunate in that I became friends with several people. And the husbands also shared the same kind of philosophy and my husband being one of them. And it was just really nice to have this shared philosophy of a gentle approach to children that didn't include hitting and included a more mindful and kind way of speaking to children. And Mm -hmm. I count myself very fortunate. And I still stay in touch with two of those women who I considered my best friends. I look at my children as adults and I see them parenting in that same style. And I feel very good about that. Yeah, it's wonderful. And you remind me that I didn't refer very often to Dr. Spock's book either, except maybe if there was a health emergency or there was some other issue that I use it as a kind of encyclopedia. (laughs) But the point you're making is, is one place where parenting and grandparenting, I think, come together, that we do need each other. And that's one of the reasons that Marilyn and I wrote this book, because we intend for it to be not a encyclopedia or not a guidebook, but an inspiration and a way of pulling together those things which we have learned from each other, from other parents and grandparents, and from reflecting on generations of raising children in our families. In your introduction, there are a couple of uh, sentences and small passages that really resonated with me as I read it. And the first one was, patience and storytelling are two of the most cherished values of older age. One could name many more, but all of them lead to that sacred place of connection where love flourishes and learning grows. 
we call that place of connection learning moments. And I thought that was so profound. Could you elaborate on that? One of the contributions that Marilyn made to the book was really to love the idea of learning moments. And so she introduced the idea. Like you, I resonated with it immediately. When we really connect, when we look into the eyes of a baby and then into the eyes of a toddler and then into the eyes of elementary and junior high and senior high grandchildren, we have an opportunity to meet soul to soul. And when that happens, it's the deepest kind of learning. It's the kind of of learning that goes into the soul as well as into the mind. We know that people recognize from their own experience the deep love that's behind these special moments. And then you go on to talk about how the passage from parent to grandparent differs from all other changes in our lives because it involves not only a new dimension of our identity, but also a transformative shift in relationships with the adult children we love. It's a delicate transition. We step in, we step back, we witness, we help where we can, we make room for new needs and life-changing surprises. And that dance, I think, is so important. And it's one that I think our generation is recognizing for the first time. I think we as grandparents are much more aware of the needs that our adult children have as far as building their own parenting lives and parenting styles. That's part of this revolution that is coming and why the books and the podcasts and the YouTubes are proliferating. Grandparents are wanting to be conscious of this uh, period of time. And they, they have a consciousness that they share with their grown children. You said so eloquently earlier how you appreciated the Lelechi League for giving you a philosophy of parenting that you now see re-emerging. And even though I didn't do it through Lelechi League, I think I did land on a philosophy very similar to yours. And I also see that in my children. It's very, very satisfying. It's, uh, it's real proof that they've not only grown up, but they are adapting a lot of, of the values that my husband and I tried to instill in them, and they want to pass similar values on. I didn't say they're adopting them, and I didn't say that they are the same values, That's where the dance comes in. They are their own people. They live in their own generation with their own challenges and their own uh, creativity in how they engage with the world. And that's that's what we want. Uh, But it's also very satisfying to see that uh, they not only accept our help, uh, but they uh, reach out and ask for it sometimes. And other times they are just eager to have us ask for the engagement. And that dance just keeps going and going. The world in which my husband and I raised our children is so different from the world my children are raising their children. And I sometimes wish that it were as, and I don't want to sound too nostalgic about it, 
But I do feel that my parenting was in a much more relaxed atmosphere than what my children are dealing with. I didn't have to worry about taking my children to a parade and being shot or sending my kids to school and wondering if they were going to be able to come home that day. And those are real fears that our kids are facing, that our adult children are facing with their own children today. Yes. And that's scary. They are. And I want to commend you for doing a a podcast uh, episode on this very subject, because one of the ways in which we can grandparent mindfully today is to take stock of what is a threat in the environment and to take our democratic responsibility to speak out and speak up. Thank you for saying that. I was honestly was quite nervous about doing that because the podcast, even though I make no money and actually spend money doing this podcast, it's still a quote business in that part of my goal is to increase listenership. And you really don't want to do anything to antagonize listeners. But at the same time, I felt it was my duty as a grandparent. It was my love for my grandchildren. And just my whole ethical being. If I didn't speak out for something I believed in, I was not being true to myself and I was doing a disservice to my family and to my listeners. And I had to do it. And I'm glad I did. You may well have paid a price. I don't know. I had the very same reaction. I was in Ireland. I join you in believing that not only is it important that. Uh, we speak up on behalf of the children that we love most, but on behalf of our country. And I hope that the love that I know Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives share when it comes to their children, that we could begin to build on that love and to bring some common sense legislation into focus. One of the things that did happen was that we had a bill passed Congress that was certainly not what I would like to see. I would like to see the banning of assault weapons like we had in a previous um, decade. Anything that helps to curtail the ease of which the wrong people get guns in their hands is a good thing. And I think it came because there are some superseding values And one of those superseding values across all of the divides that we have is that we love our children. I really believe we have more in common than we have differences. And I think if we could just put aside politics and really look at the issues, we could find common ground. And that's what I wish for this country is that we could start negotiating as we did years ago, and find that common ground that's good for everybody and go forward. Well, it doesn't seem to be happening in Congress, but I think it might happen in people's living rooms. And I've been thinking a lot about that, feeling somewhat called to action on this, especially on the issue of gun safety and and school safety for our children. One of the statistics that I read after the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, was that the horror of the mass shootings fades from our immediate Mm -hmm. thought processes within four days. 
Yes. And I, read I that found too. that quite alarming and decided that I was not going to allow that to happen. And that's yes. the one thing I think propelled me to do that podcast episode mm-hmm. was that I wasn't going to allow four days to pass and then it not be a topic of conversation until the next mass shooting. And I have planned a series of guest interviews talking about how we can help our children and different things that we can focus on with our children to help them through this. I'm not going to just let it go. I'm not going to dwell on it, but I'm certainly Mm -hmm. not going to allow four days to pass and then give up the fight. Well, good for you. So let's get back to your book. Yes. I also, in the introduction, you talk about reclaiming this word elder. Can you talk with us more about that? There are many words used to describe people who are, shall we say, older than 60 years of age. Those words are often unsatisfying. Of all the choices, such as senior, uh, retiree, those are the two most frequently used. We selected the word elder partly because it connects to people in all cultures of the world, many of which are cultures that esteem their elders more than ours does. And it also helps us to connect the role of being older with the wisdom that we hope will come with that role. I think that's a good term. (laughs) I, I like that. It to me really invokes respect. We were very aware of the elders in our own lives, the people we admire and respect who are grandparents today. And like you, uh, when you were bringing your own children up and forming relationships with other mothers, we are advocates for forming relationships with other grandparents and finding those who are true elders. Look around in your community and you see people who are engaged. Uh, They may be engaged like you are in issues of the day. They may be engaged in a business or other work. Uh, Sometimes there are encore careers for people who are older. Other times they're just engaged in helping wherever they can in their own communities, but they're doing it in a way that shows that they have absorbed lessons from life, and they are able to share those lessons with others in ways that are not imposing their values or their will on others, but are offering their wisdom as gifts to others. That's the thing that inspired us. I was really touched by one of the essays Marilyn wrote, in which she talks about her stepson's children, and how the pictures of their biological grandmothers hang outside their bedroom door and that her feelings about them as elders that these grandchildren will never know, but the importance of passing down memories of them and their stories. And I thought that was quite touching and an appropriate use of the term elder. Marilyn is in a different relationship 
uh, to the grandchildren of her family than I am. I have three and she has nine. And uh, she also has a blended family. Her husband has children. She has children from a previous marriage. And so there are lots of grandchildren and lots of, of uh, both living and some grandparents who are not living. She is able in looking at her own situation to step back and recognize the need of those children and grandchildren to still connect to those, to the grandmother who's no longer there. And she has found it in her heart to expand, to include this woman she never knew. And that brings me to something else about your book that talks about the importance of embracing all of the children's grandparents, whether they be biological or step-grandparents or whatever. And, and she talks about how to get to know them and why it's important for the children's emotional health. So I did a chapter on forming a grandparent team. When you stand at, in the wedding and you look across the aisle, that's really what's going on there. You have an invitation to make of these people the best friends you can. And they may be very different from you. They may have uh, skills and abilities and values that are not like yours. Most of the time that can be turned into an asset rather than a competition or a deficit. It doesn't happen automatically though. I think we have to be conscious as in everything we wrote about, the, the key to it is being conscious, thinking about it. That's why we did 52 chapters so that uh, we could cover more topics and recognize that these are all ways that grandparenting touches our lives, but only when we think about them and decide for ourselves, how do I want to be engaged with this other set of grandparents? How do I want to be engaged or not engaged with the discipline of this child? Uh, how do I want to uh, learn new technology, on and on. For every subject, the, the key to it is to choose and then to be conscious of learning in order to express our love for our grandchildren. And that's why the title of your book is so appropriate. Everything is about being mindful and being intentional with your thoughts and your choices. And I think the thing that struck me about this book is that for adults who may not have had a good model from which to form their opinions or their philosophies about grandparenting, you really present an easy to read roadmap of ideas to consider. And you literally give suggestions at the end and it's suggestions, it's not directives, but it really affords grandparents the opportunity to truly reflect on their feelings and their love for those grandchildren. And mm -hmm. I, this is a book I wholeheartedly recommend for every parent who's on the verge of becoming a grandparent. You've written an excellent roadmap for us to embrace. Well, thank you so much. Uh, like one of my friends used to say, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. <laughs> and it's also never <laughs> yes. too late. It's never too late to learn what we want to learn about building relationships, even if our own were not perfect. And none of us 
had perfect relationships uh, growing up as children. Uh, there, are, there are no perfect parents, no perfect grandparents. Another way of thinking about it is to say that grandparenting is the second chance we get at being engaged in the lives of molding young children. And maybe we can learn from the mistakes we made the first time. Maybe we have gotten older and wiser in our elder years. Uh, we hope that's the case. And so Marilyn and I certainly have had a, a joyous time putting together this book with its recommendations. We know that others will take what they need and leave the rest. You know, what's really so much fun about children is the unconditional love. So even if you mess up on one visit, you have the <laughs> opportunity the next time that child throws his arms around your neck. To start Absolutely. over and make it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That's one of the things that I love about kids. <laughs> Me too. Just offer one anecdote. My five-year-old granddaughter visits frequently because she's the one that lives close by. And the last time she came, you, you talked about starting over. The last time she came, she said, when we looked at the tea sets, which she loves, but last time she broke uh, one of the numerous tea sets that uh, are there for her to play with. And she said, that was my fault, but maybe it was our fault. She was still trying to get around the idea of fault because she's learning about <laughs> responsibility. And she was very upset with herself when she broke these. And so what we did was to go back to that same episode again. And I said, well, you know, I think it was grandma's fault too, because I, I did not uh, tell you, you should not take those tea sets into the garage. She was able to forgive herself because I took some of the responsibility. And you're absolutely right. Uh, children are very forgiving and they're constantly learning. And so we can learn with them. And when they can see that we are rethinking the things that we did, and then they can learn that it's okay. We can keep on working at something until we have reached an agreement of the truth of the matter. I always love hearing stories from grandparents about their grandparents. And I was wondering if you would share with the listeners the story of the heirloom eggs. That comes from my grandmother, Hershey. Grandma Hershey was a woman who had, I, I don't even remember how many children, grandchildren she had, but lots more than I have. And she did not give me a lot of encouragement with words, or she wasn't a cuddler. But what she did was to demonstrate love with her hands. She was a Mennonite grandmother in the 1950s. And she was a plain dressing woman, a plain spoken woman, a quiet woman, really. But she was also a peacemaker. And she was a user of everything that came into her sphere to help other people, whether it was garden produce or making quilts or comforters, helping the parents of her grandchildren to do the work that they did on their farms. Those were her methods. And I seldom stayed overnight at her house. But when my little brother, Henry, was born, I had to stay with 
the grandparents because I had the measles. I had to, of course, stay away from both my mother and my little baby brother until I was through that stage. And it was a little bit daunting to be alone in somebody else's house. And so one morning I came down to breakfast and it was only grandma in the kitchen. And she said, how would you like to have an egg that is one egg turn into two? And I was definitely interested in watching that. And so what she did was to carefully soft boil an egg. Then she tapped it and she opened it and showed me that we could make two eggs out of this one egg. She told me to take what she called snipples of toast, put it in the cup, and then together we formed this soft boiled egg in the cup with the snipples of toast and the salt and pepper. And as a three-year-old child, I was totally enthralled by the magic of that breakfast that we made together. So that was the way she showed love. So sweet story. And I'm also taken by one of the things in the the introduction of the statement that Shirley knows what to do with empty oatmeal boxes, scraps of fabric, and aging implements. And as I read the book, and when I came to this part about your Hershey grandmother, I thought, ah, that's where she gets it from. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And there's also a chapter in the, in the book about the stuff in your house and how the things that we consider almost, um, well, here's an example of it. Stuff to save and recycle in new ways. Cardboard boxes, Big ones from appliances or other stash in the garage or basement. Oatmeal containers, cardboard tubes, toilet paper, paper towel and gift wrap, paint, glue, glitter, tape, scissors, markers, clean glass jars with lids, clean takeout containers, construction paper and scrap paper. On and on and on. The stuff that we have that for our grandchildren can be totally transformed into play imagination, and even something constructive to help mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. I remember as a child in elementary school, first, second, third grade, saving scraps and basically recycling, Mm -hmm. but taking a milk carton, like a gallon milk carton or a bleach bottle for heaven's sakes, I guess my mother Mm -hmm. must have washed it really well, Mm -hmm. taking it into school and with you know, construction paper and crayons or whatever, turning it into a bank, a a piggy bank, Uh which I always thought was just so, just so cute and just so darling. And I remember treasuring that thing so much and oatmeal boxes becoming drums. And I think technology and the readiness of the former Toys R Us and Walmart and the Target department stores we don't recycle things into toys much these days. We, it's just too easy to go out and buy something. And the electronics and the whirs and the buzzing and the lights just dazzle children yeah. so much. But when I do take the time with my grandchildren and create something out of scraps, they do seem mesmerized at least temporarily. Yes. And of course it works best with very young children, but think about what kids are doing in camp all summer long. 
the crafts and the making things themselves and especially making things from what's available around us. There is something much more satisfying out of uh, that type of play than the kind that whizzes and bangs and needs batteries. About a month ago, grandsons one and three were with us for a, a week. My husband has a wood shop and one of the boys was with him in in the wood shop and came into the house and had nailed together four pieces of wood and made a box with two open ends. He had painted mm-hmm. it and he was just so proud of this mm-hmm. and he wanted to yes. put it near his suitcase so he didn't forget to take it home. And I was asking him what this was to tell me about it. And he says, oh, it's the beginning of a house. He was just so proud of the fact that he himself nailed together these pieces of wood. It was still taking scraps of wood my husband no longer needed and putting it together to make something on his own. And he was proud of it. My husband was proud that he had this interaction with our grandson. And then I was proud for both of them. And I remember doing that very same thing myself when I was a child, growing up on a farm, growing up without a whole lot of money, growing up isolated from, I didn't have a TV set. So we had to make our own play and our own fun and going out to daddy's shop and picking up hammers and nails and using equipment as he was doing uh, other projects made me feel special too. So I understand that. And we can find the equivalent of it in things we have around the house. And even if it means helping to build those machines that need batteries and make whirring noises, (laughs) robot, you can buy these kits that help because like it or not, Technology is here to stay and is making huge impacts on our world. I want my grandchildren to be able to do that, to be able to maneuver with tiny wires and tiny little bolts and to build something that can be controlled remotely. And I I think that's a fun, a fun way of looking at it. And in your your list, you made a list of what good grandparents do. And one of the things is Uh, learn about their techno toys and then limit them, trust their capacity for complexity. I felt like building their own techno toys was a really good skill for them to learn. Exactly. And I think that would be a, a great example of that kind of paradox that you want them to be involved in their own culture and their own time and even have skills that'll be very useful uh, as they get older. But to stand back and to also uh, enjoy putting things together, uh, recycling and and doing the uh, more uh, non-technical things as well. But mostly evaluating what makes them good, what makes them bad, and having a mindful connection to our technology rather than blindly following what other people are doing. A word that comes to mind is balance. There needs to be a balance in every aspect of our, our lives for us to be emotionally and physically 
healthy. Absolutely. There's so much more in the book that we could talk about, but I know our time is growing short. And I want to give you the opportunity to tell listeners, is there anything else in the book or about the book that you think is especially important that we haven't talked about that you want to share with us? Well, since it's summertime, the, the chapter on grandparent camp might be of special interest and relevance to grandparents listening. Chapter 37 is uh, my take on grandparent camp. I tell some stories about grandparent camp uh, as it arose in our family. One of the things I discovered by being on Facebook was that if you ask people in the local community of things that they have done with their grandchildren and they really love, you'll get a list that is probably longer than any list you'll actually use within a one week period of time. That's a really good way of jumpstarting your uh, idea bank. The chapter has suggestions for things uh, all the way from how to find the activities, how to engage with your grandchildren in planning, and then um, making age appropriate activities that uh, both build responsibility, build a reward, and build joy. So we had, for example, a chore chart, and that turned out to be a real hit for our then six-year-old and four-year-old. We celebrated the end of the week with all their very cooperative chores um, listed on the chart with their little stars. And we went out and bought a kite. Owen was that is our oldest and he was holding his kite. And I said, oh, and what makes that kite the best in the world? And he said, oh, it's so awesome. That's cute. I want to add just another thought to the whole idea of cousins camp or grandparents camp, whatever you name it. Some people make this a really, really elaborate time in their grandchildren's lives. And we were talking t-shirts and goodie bags Mm -hmm. and just (laughs) an immense array of time commitment on the grandparents part. And then there are others who take it a lot more low key. And so I, I want grandparents who've never experienced grandparent camp to understand that there is such a variety in what you can offer these grandchildren and what is required of you to do it. And it might just be grandparent camp is a weekend It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be a whole week and it really needs to fit what fits your family, your energy level, your financial ability, and just your, your ability to commit to having a certain number of kids, whether it's two or 10. And I've got six and I tell you, it is hard with six. It's hard with four boys. (laughs) <laughs> but we do have fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I, that's a very wise word. The other thing is that, yes, there, you can have any number of, of uh, you, you don't have to have, it doesn't have to be cousin camp, meaning all the cousins. It could be partial. Uh, it can be grandparent camp for short or longer periods of time with some or all of the children 
together. And the other thing is that it can uh, evolve. We have now had maybe three years of grandparent camp at our house and the children have lived in different places during that time. They are now moving into new stages of life. Right now, the two older ones are in uh, camp camp. They are in Wisconsin and Minnesota. They will have other experiences of camp. They'll bring back and probably be able to make some suggestions of the kinds of things they enjoy doing based on the experiences they're having and the growth and learning that's taking place outside of these days or week or even weeks of grandparent camp. You can start simple and build. And if it turns out that you want to do elaborate things uh, in the end, great. Uh, But you can just have them come over and run through the house and explore the places that they have already made their own and they already love and go back to the same places where you've been before. Uh, the playground, the park, the neighbor next door, the woods, uh, where, wherever they have left traces of their hearts in the past they will come back and reclaim them and build on them for future visits. There are good ideas that other people have had and reaching out and asking for them is great, but don't feel competitive or don't feel that, oh, if somebody else had t-shirts, I have to have them too. One of the times that I had the four boys here, our neighbor who doesn't live down the road anymore, but she raised chickens and Uh she invited us over to see the chickens, to see the hen house, to see where the eggs were and how to collect eggs. And it is just really a one-on-one on raising chickens. These boys still today talk about the chicken lady and yes. when they were over there with these chickens. And it's yes. just so much fun to hear them talk about the times that we've spent together and the things that we've done together, it just makes my heart so full because I want them to remember me. I want them to remember all of the good times that we've had. And this is why I said earlier about every time you see them, it's a chance for a new beginning. Mm -hmm. If you were harsh with them the last time, they don't remember that. They just remember the good times. Grandma camp is the perfect example of how You can just have so much fun with your grandkids and it will make memories that last. Yes. In the case of the chickens, you probably didn't plan that at all. No, I didn't. It was really an impromptu. She called and said, I've got eggs for you (laughs) if you want them. And why don't you bring the kids over and let them eat the chickens? (laughs) (laughs) And it was perfect. And I know some grandparents don't have this luxury, but I have a van. I I literally sold my convertible that I loved and bought Mm -hmm. a van so that I could transport these kids around. (laughs) So I had the vehicle where I put, yes, I sacrificed. (laughs) I put these four boys, strapped them in. I had car seats and, and booster seats and off we went down the road. And that's what we do with all of our adventures. You know, we just buckle in and away we go. And so much of it is not scripted but it just yes. turns out to be fun. Yeah. Well, that's that's the wonderful thing about it. To me, fun is the number one word. And, and what we learned from that 
is just a nice byproduct, but the absolute goal is to have fun. Amen. Tell our listeners again, the title of your book and where they can find it on the internet and where they can find you on the internet. The book is The Mindful Grandparent, The Art of Loving Our Children's Children. And it's located, of course, on Amazon, but it's also uh, located in Aaron's Books here in Lidditz, Pennsylvania, if you come by. And Aaron's also has it online at aaronsbooks.com. My website is shirleyshowalter.com. There you can find uh, links to for buying the book and you can find uh, a blog that I keep, most of which is focused on grandchildren. And I want to thank you because in one of your blog posts, you mentioned my podcast and I was so touched by that. So thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. I consider your podcast to be one of the great resources that grandparents can use. Oh, that's really sweet of you. Thank you very much. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the Adventures with Grammy podcast. You will find the links to our guests and the topics we discussed in this episode's show notes. If you would like to be a guest or if you know someone who would be an awesome guest, please connect with me at carolyn at adventureswithgrammy.com.